All right, as we uh, continue here, <clears throat> I say continue, I missed the last couple weeks. We were over in Kansas. Uh, so I missed the first part of this dinner uh, that Jesus is attending. <clears throat> but we're going to continue as our, we trek through the book of Luke. And so we'll be starting in verses 15 uh, through 24. Uh, your Bible might note it as the parable of the Great Supper. Uh, let's read. In fact, would you stand for the reading of God's word here? Starting in verse 15. Now when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. And then he said to him, Jesus, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many. And he sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all, with one accord, began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must go and see it. I ask you have me be excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I am going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city, and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded, and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and the hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. Thus ends the reading of God's word. can be seated. Well, as I mentioned, the context for this particular section of scripture is this Sabbath feast. It was a ruler of the Pharisees who had this meal uh, on the Sabbath and asked Jesus to attend. And of course, if you've gone through this in the the last couple weeks, um, we've seen some of the interactions that Jesus had with the dinner and those who were invited there, some of the Pharisees and scribes. And we saw that he healed a man with dropsy, uh, someone who maybe was planted uh, because of Jesus's proclivity to heal on the Sabbath, uh, something to actually catch him. Uh, He also, Jesus noted, um, their place around the table uh, and how they chose the better seats. I also noticed how the host had invited friends, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors to this particular meal uh, and looked for more humility in this group uh, than what was there. So this last point now, as we come to this parable of the supper, this last point about who to invite is, I think, the thing that sort of leads us into this section. Uh, Jesus noted that if you invite those people, uh, the maimed, the lame, the blind, those people who cannot reciprocate, they don't have the means to repay you or to even invite you back, uh, that what's going to happen is that your reward, your payback is going to be in the resurrection. And uh, in all that has taken place at the supper, uh, I think this man may have felt as though finally something we agree on, the resurrection. And, you know, the Pharisees believed in an afterlife, in a resurrection. It was one of the debates they had with the Sadducees. And Paul actually used that 
to work himself out of a, uh, a certain situation by bringing up that topic and letting them fight it out together. Um, but this was one where Jesus seemed to agree with the Pharisees on this particular point. And so this man comes up with what might be a, we might say a knowledgeable, a good statement, and yet there is a certain amount of pride, a lack of humility that Jesus sees in his heart. Uh, when he says here, blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. And the Jews of the first century there had some pretty significant uh, perspective on the afterlife and this grand supper that would be there. Um, and of course, they would be guests. They would be the invited guests there. They were pretty sure of that. And so there's a statement there when saying, blessed is he shall, who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God, implying we'll be there. And so Jesus needs to bring some correction here, <laughs> some perspective, if you will. And so he begins a story or a parable, as he tells the guests there, about a certain man who gave a great supper. Now, they were seated at a supper, and this may have been, Matthew tells a similar story, uh, and I don't know if it's the exact same uh, context, Jesus may have told this parable several times in the course of his ministry, but at any rate, in Matthew, it's a, it's a wedding supper, which would be appropriate um, as we're talking about, actually Matthew says, or Matthew reports, that Jesus said, the kingdom of God is like. And so the parable is addressing not specifically a meal, but the kingdom. In the parable, in the you know, we probably need to make sure as we talk here. On one level, we have the, parallel, the parable that Jesus tells. We have a story here. On another level, we have a meaning that is addressing the first century Pharisees and the Jewish people there. And then at another level, we're going to have to look at what does it mean, what is the Holy Spirit telling us from this story? How is it addressing our hearts? And so we're going to have to keep those, those things uh, separate as we go along here. Um, so this is really about the kingdom of God and there's a sense in which the kingdom of God is something that even we today are being invited to this supper if we, if we maintain the, the, the uh, parable although Jesus is specifically addressing them so we need to keep that in mind um, <clears throat> so this is a, a story about the kingdom and it's about kingdom membership. The being invited to the meal is really being invited into the kingdom to be, become a member of God's people. Um, and, of course, those who were already circumcised, part of the old covenant, they had a covenant relationship with God, well, they would be, in a sense, the ones you would invite. When you have a wedding reception... Uh, you come up with a guest list. <laughs> who are those people we would like to celebrate with? Who are those people who would love to celebrate with us? And so you, you have that kind of a list. And, of course, Jesus is going to look at his people. Those are his, and they are the ones invited. Now, in particular, he's addressing the scribes and um, the Pharisees that were at the table. And it says here that um, this fellow who was having this supper sent out his servant at supper time. Now, I didn't, haven't done a lot of study on this, but I know that um, there were several invitations that went out in the way they handled things. There was sort of a save-the-date kind of <laughs> invitation that went out. 
which you would have to respond to. And, um, and those who responded positively would receive another invitation, and then perhaps even a third, which we might be seeing here, where the servant is sent out now because the time is ready. Everything is set to go. And so, um, and so we have this particular thing happening. Now, the servant, most likely he's referencing, is either John the Baptist, um, and, and maybe it's not even that important because the point is in the story is they've been invited. They've been, they've been told, asked to come. It could have been Christ himself, and certainly as we move into our generation, you know, where did you hear the gospel? You know, who was the servant who came to you? You know, Hebrews talks about, you know, uh, today when you hear his voice. And so this, this servant is continuing even to this day because the kingdom uh, is continuing to grow. People are still coming to the supper. They're still coming to the kingdom, even today. Um, but here, it is specifically the Jews that, that are being addressed. And he says at supper time, <clears throat> he says, come, for all things are now ready. Now, in Matthew's account, he goes on to say that everything's ready. The fatted calf's been killed. You know, things that the meal is set, come on, come on to the supper. Um, we might think about, well, the silver's polished, the fine china's out, uh, there's wine, uh, the band has been hired, uh, all of these kinds of things, so that what we're presenting is something you would want to come to. <laughs> this is going to be enjoyable. This is going to be something I really don't want to miss. Uh, this is going to be a good time. Now, um, for us, as we consider the kingdom of God, what is Jesus saying? What is he saying to the Pharisees in this parable when he says all things are ready? Forgiveness of sins awaits you. <laughs> Justification awaits you. Reconciliation awaits you. Uh, we talked about adoption this morning. That awaits you to come into this kingdom. Uh, reconciliation and peace await you. I mean, when Jesus says all things are ready, um, there's some really good stuff that we also don't want to miss. We want to be part of this. And so this is, should be an extremely <laughs> enjoyable time that they are coming to, even in the parable, the story that is being told here. But in verse 18, it starts with the word but. <laughs> they all with one accord began to make excuses. Now it's interesting to me, that they all with one accord. How does that happen? <laughs> Did we just pick the wrong day, you know, for this party? It implies to me some history. What has this fella done? What, what is the state of their relationship that all of them begin to make excuses? It's certainly, if you have sent out invitations... If you've prepared this supper, your expectation is that they're all coming. The problem doesn't seem to at least be recognized by the host. But something is amiss. What is their particular beef? Now, there may be quite a number of reasons that the Pharisees were not all that crazy about Jesus. But I want to just give you three things. As you go through the Gospels, we kind of see these things. And the first thing is, is that they were jealous of him. Um, <clears throat> he attracted huge crowds. <laughs> In fact, 
after the, at the end of this section, the next section starts, great multitudes went with him. <clears throat> so he was profoundly popular with the people where the Jewish leaders laid heavy burdens on the people and they weren't all that fond of the leaders. Um, they approached the masses with disdain and scorn. You know, the, the, during the Babylonian captivity, it became apparent the reason we were over there in, captive in Babylon is because of a lot of disobedience in the people of Israel. And so the Jewish leaders thought that as we come back to the land, we want to make sure we have more obedience. <laughs> That's what we need. We got over there because we didn't. We're coming back here and we're going to see that we obey. And, and that's a good thing uh, as they started out. But as the years went by, <clears throat> the Jewish system became much more and more legalistic. And the Pharisees uh, began to set the standard for morality in the, in the particular community. Um, <clears throat> but amidst all this, the Pharisees wouldn't think of having dinner with a tax collector or even at his house, which is what Jesus did. He freely associated with those people. People, for the most part, received Jesus gladly, but they felt judged by the Pharisees. The Pharisees could only see the people's sin, and so their relationship with the people was one of contempt. <clears throat> On the other hand, people loved Jesus, and the Pharisees couldn't stand it. <laughs> it reminded me of... Uh, David and Saul when the, the ladies started singing that Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands and Saul became jealous Saul became angry that's not that different from what's going on here in fact if you look at Saul and David there's a, a lot we won't go into it but there's a lot of parallels between Saul and David and the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Because for 40 years, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant ran parallel. The New Covenant church existed, and yet the Old Covenant system had not been taken down yet. The Old Covenant tried to kill the new. The old king, Saul, tried to kill the new king, the one who had been anointed king. Though he didn't come to power until the old king was out of the way. Um, so it is today. Jesus, with his church, reign uh, now that... After the year 70, the old covenants came down starting in 71, per se. Jesus and the church run the world. That's, how, that's where we're at. But the second thing, let's, let's back up here. <laughs> second thing that they didn't like Jesus is Jesus exposed them. Uh, before Jesus arrived, as I said, the Pharisees, they set the moral standard. Um, they uh, may not have been appreciated that much by the people, and yet the people still honored them for their virtue. Um, they had the highest places in the synagogue. But Jesus came and pointed out that their virtue was pretense. It was fake. <laughs> it was external. He talked about, he said, you are the whitewashed sepulcher. You know, you look nice on the outside, but inside are dead man's bones. And so Jesus begins with many different ways to point out that their virtue, the virtue of the Pharisees, was nothing uh, to write home about. Um, and he points out the, uh, the presence of their fakeness. 
there's nothing that will reveal the counterfeit as much as the presence of the genuine. And so when Jesus was there, whether he said anything or not, just the way he behaved, he pointed out the counterfeit virtue that the Jewish Pharisees had. And so that was the second reason that they really uh, didn't like him. Going back to David and Saul, if you read the account uh, in the time that David was in Saul's household, three times it says that David acted wisely. And when Saul saw that David acted more wisely, he got angry and jealous. And this is the same thing that's happening here with Jesus and the Pharisees. The third thing is uh, the Pharisees were afraid. Um, Israel had lived, uh, for most of its history, it had lived uh, under the control of somebody else. It was basically a a conquered people. Um, But very often there would be a group of zealots who would um, start a revolution or a revolt against the uh, overseers. And when the enemy of God's people quashed the rebellion, it was, there was more clamps, <laughs> there was more restraints put on Israel so that that won't happen again. And so that was what the Pharisees were afraid of, is that, you know, and Jesus had in his disciples a couple of, they were called zealots. Uh, they were for the restoration of Israel and became one of Jesus' disciples. And with the things that Jesus was doing, they were really concerned. If there's an uprising, Rome is going to come down on us, and there goes our power, there goes our authority, there goes our position. So even that is still, though they may have a, had an external concern about a bloodbath, they really were concerned about their own positions and the consequences that that would, that would come. So their goal was to, if we can get rid of him before any trouble starts, that's a third reason. Now there may have been more reasons, but that's three of them. To give some history to the fact that when Jesus invited them to the kingdom, they started to make excuses. Now, at first I, I started to look at the excuses that there might be some message there. And, and I suppose you could dig something out, but by and large... These are pretty lame excuses. Um, and they're, they're, you know, if you invited Maggie and I over, you said, hey, you know, Raj, why don't you and Maggie come over for dinner Tuesday? And I didn't want to go. So I said, well, we'd love to come, but, you know, Tuesday, I, it's my polish the, my shoes night. And so eh, I think we're going to pass. <laughs> you know. Now you would say, wait a minute, what in the world? There's something else under, the, under those words. Um, and so when, when they say here, I bought a piece of land, I must go and see it. You know, it's like, well, you know, I don't know about you, but if I'm buying land or a car or something like that, I kind of want to see it before <laughs> I buy it. Um, so it just seemed sort of like, okay, that's not even an excuse. Um, I don't even think the man thought land was that important to, I mean, uh, anyway, never mind. Um, I must go see it. But he does say here, and this is interesting, I ask you to have me excused. Now, I don't know exactly here. Uh, I, I think there is something here that in our culture we don't really consider much. Um, and that is the fact that when we're invited to something, 
we want to be excused. In other words, we want to maintain the relationship. We want you to, if, if uh, Neil, you're the host, and, um, and I say I have this reason. I want you to judge my reason and say, yes, it's valid. I, I, and it doesn't hurt our relationship. Um, I just, uh, we're having presbytery here uh, in a couple, in a month, I think it is. And um, we are going to be, Maggie and I are going to be up in Illinois, so I'm not going to be able to attend. So just the other day, I wrote a formal letter to request, uh, to the clerk, to request to be excused. Um, Because you need to do that. My vows said I would be there. (laughs) And so uh, I don't know how much we as a presbytery do this, but we are to evaluate the excuses and actually excuse people. Um, I don't know how much we do that. That's something for us to consider. But there's discipline can come when that excuse is not received, when it is not excused. And so here, Jesus is is recognizing the fact that this is not going to fly. You're not going to be excused with that kind of a a reason. Um, But they didn't want to come, but they didn't want to necessarily destroy a relationship that might have some benefit later, okay? Um, and we can go on here. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen. I'm going to test them. Um, well, first of all, this is a supper. It's usually evening. You're not going to be doing that then at all. Uh, again, a lame excuse. And here's number 20, no, verse 20 here. Still another said, I have married a wife. Therefore, he doesn't even ask to be excused. He just says, I can't come. And, and it's, it's a, um, maybe they were trying to pull, uh, you know, God's law says, although it doesn't. Uh, I mean, if you're married for a year, you're excluded from military service, but not a supper. <laughs> and so maybe it was an inappropriate use of the law, which would have been something the Pharisees may have done. Uh, they had a lot of uh, traditions of men uh, that, that walked uh, or masqueraded as God's law. Uh, and he just says, I cannot come, and you should understand. Uh, and so uh, that's how it is. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Um, <clears throat> and the master of the house, uh, being angry, said to his servants, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes in the city and bring in here the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. So the anger of this master is toward those guests, those invited guests who said, We can't come. But his, his love and care and concern and his desire to bless people, to have his place filled and to be able to give graciously um, is still there. So the anger hasn't shut off his graciousness and his compassion. And it's very interesting here. He says here, bring in the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. If we go back uh, to earlier time in the supper... Uh, Jesus uses those same groups, and he says, "When you when you have a, a supper, don't just invite your friends and rich relatives and all of that." He says, right, uh, "Invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind." Same same exact list. And so, this the heart of the master is to bring in more. Now, these people would have probably been the common Jew, okay, in at least the reference. 
uh, at the second level, not in the not in the parable, but but in, in the Jewish community, they would have also been those who were able to come to the to the party. They would be resources to to go to. It's interesting here. Uh, the servant um, the servant said, "Master, it is done as you commanded, and still there is room." It, it seems very quick. Now, obviously, there is in a, in telling a story. Uh, there may have been time for the servants to go out and do this and come back and say and report back. But um, in verse 21 it says, so the servant came and reported. But here there's none of that. It just the, the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded. I'm tending to think, uh, we could look at it several different ways, that the servants knew the heart of the master. They knew what he had said earlier at the dinner (laughs) invite these people these groups and the servant said yeah we already did that we knew that's what that was your next move we already did it and there's still room i think that's a an interesting way and it, it speaks to us and as to what do we how do we know our father how do we know the one who's giving the feast how do we know the one who is um asking us to come into the kingdom um, if we are his servants, if we're out, now that we have been invited to the feast, now we become servants who invite others. Do we invite this group? We know Jesus loves that. <laughs> and so those kinds of things don't hinder us. Anyway, they, they invited these people. And the ser- he said, it's done, there's still room. Then the master said to the servant, go into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. And again, on the second level here, I believe this is a reference to the Gentiles. You know, Jewish leaders didn't come. There were some common people who came, and then there was the Gentiles who came and filled the hall. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. And this is really hitting home uh, with the Pharisees. You know, if you read some of the parables that Jesus tells... I mean, there's one where the Pharisees said they perceived he was speaking of them. (laughs) I always chuckle at that one, but um, they probably perceived he was talking about them. Uh, This is is the issue. Uh, Who's coming to the supper? You just said, blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. And are you an excuser? Are you one who's sending in an excuse, a lame excuse? Um, Well, they were not excused. All right, well, that's sort of an interpretation of the story. But what's really going on here? Um, I'd like us to consider, and this is where we're going to start getting to this lower level here, of what does this mean for us? Um, But Jesus told Pilate that he came uh, into the world. Remember the interview that Pilate had with Jesus before the cross? Jesus said that he uh, came into the world to bear witness to the truth. And he said, everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. He he said in another place in the Gospels, my sheep hear my voice. And so how is it that we hear God's voice? How How do the disciples hear that? Well, I don't want to get off on a sidetrack here, but um, we do another layer thing. Okay. <laughs> up here on the top, you could put it on the bottom, but I'm putting it on the top. 
is where we live. It's the physical world. Um, it's the things we see and, and smell and touch and taste and, and hear. It's, it's up here on this level. This is where the covenant is with God. This is where our covenant is. The covenant with God is conditional. You of, we often read, God says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins and heal their land. Jesus said it too. I don't know if it's Jesus. I don't remember if it's Jesus or Paul, but you'll probably remember. Uh, <laughs> when you pray, forgive those who have who've offended you. And your Father in heaven will forgive you. If you don't forgive them, your Father in heaven will not forgive you. And so the kinds of things, when we hear those kinds of things, they, they kind of, especially as Reformed people, Sometimes we're not sure exactly what to do, but we live in a conditional covenant, okay? Down underneath it, and it's still quarter to five, so I'm okay. (laughs) Um, I have a computer software. I hope this isn't a rabbit trail. I have to keep my finger in my notes here. Uh, I have a computer software. I used to do engineering, and it was a CAD software. I could do designing on the computer, but I could draw pictures, okay? And um, uh, on there, I could draw on layer one, I could draw a widget of some kind that I was designing, and on layer two, I could draw um, maybe, uh, maybe it's something that goes into the dashboard of a car, well, on layer two, I could have the dashboard of the car, and so I could see how it interfaces, okay? Layer three, I could put dimensions. Uh, layer four, I could put notes. But they're all on different layers. It's like looking through a bunch of panes of glass. When I look at it this way, I see them all together. If I were, I can't do this with a computer, but if you could turn it sideways, you would see that actually all those things are on different levels. And um, and so it is, I believe, with the covenant, with with all this, and then down on another layer here is more of the spiritual realm. It's the decrees of God, where, where we have a conditional covenant up here, but down underneath we have the unconditional election of God. And see, that is a decree of God. That's an absolute truth down here, but it impacts up here. If you have been... The Bible tells us in Romans 10 that faith comes by hearing. But hearing comes by the word of God. Now that's not the logos. Hearing doesn't come from this word of God. It's the rhema. It's the word of God from the throne. It's the command. It's the edict. So at some point in the past, God said, Nathan, hear. And you received hearing. Any of us in this room, God have may, may have spoken, Maggie, here. And at that point, you began to perceive, even though you live up here, you began to perceive the things that were down here. You be, and Jesus often says, he who has ears, let him hear. He who has eyes, let him see. We are those people who have been given eyes and ears to see more. 
there is <clears throat> there's a sense in which we can say we have our five senses to perceive the things in this world. But God is giving us, as his people, senses, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Have you seen him? Have you heard him? These things are spoken in the scriptures. He has given us senses, if you will, to perceive the things that the natural man does not perceive. And so when we talk about God as an absolute, the Pharisees didn't have eyes to see. They didn't have ears to hear. That command from the throne never came to them. They had a notion of God. They knew some things about him, but they didn't know him. You know, Raj, do you know Bob Smith? Oh. Is he in the State Department? I think I heard his name, you know. I don't really know him. But I've heard about him, you know. It's that kind of a relationship that the Pharisees had with their God. If you go back to John 8, which we read earlier, read a little more in there. Jesus does not hold back. He says, you guys judge according to the flesh. You don't know me. You don't know the Father. You can't even speak the truth. You speak lies like your father, the devil. There is no truth in him. But you see, what we have been given eyes and ears to see is what is true, what is absolutely infallible. That our God is an absolute God who absolutely exists. This, this here exists. It doesn't matter what you think of it. <laughs> if you never thought about it, this still exists. If there was not a mind to think about this, this still exists. The things that are real, the things that are part of reality, are things that have nothing to do with the mind of God. Some people will say, well, it's your truth, or it's what you think, or what you believe. No, we, we have absolute truth because we see something no one else can see. The Pharisees don't know about the glory of God. They don't know the sovereignty of God. They don't know the depravity of man. They don't know of their own inability They don't know that judgment awaits. And they certainly don't know the love of God. So their lives are built on what they know carnally. That's all they can see. Um, There's a pack rat. There's an actual animal (laughs) who collects things and brings them back to his nest. And he can pick up, he especially likes shiny things. He could find a diamond ring and start heading back to his home with that diamond ring. And all of a sudden, out of the corner of his eye, there's a foil gum wrapper over here that's flickering in the sunlight, and he'll drop the diamond ring and go get that piece of foil. Because it's just what his senses pick up. He doesn't value things the way we do. We don't have a problem knowing that that diamond ring is much more valuable than that gum wrapper. Even the unsaved know that because it's, it's physically de, uh, discerned. But you and I have been given eyes to see more so that we can sacrifice even the diamond ring for eternal life. You know, there are things that are much more valuable 
than that. And we have the ability to discern those things, not just because God has given us eyes. The Holy Spirit is also empowering us and and helping us with these things. So there is really no excuse that's going to work with God. Um, Those who know the truth know that there is no excuse to miss this supper. So the question is, tomorrow, how are you going to live, given the fact that you can not only see this level, but you can see this level? 2 Corinthians 10 tells us, For though we walk in the flesh, though we walk up here, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare, and I go to Ephesians 6, and to cut to the chase here, I think it's the word of God and prayer. Those are our offensive weapons. Everything else is a a defense. But the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. This book tells us about what's down on this lower level. The things we cannot perceive with these eyes. The, The things that we need spiritual eyes to see. This book tells us about them. So we need our eyes and ears to look at this, but we need eyes and ears at our heart level to understand. And those things are just as much real as this, as this podium here, the lectern. But we have these weapons for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Tomorrow, there will be propositions, there will be ideas, there will be concepts that will be put before you. And you're going to have to make decisions on what do I do, how do I behave, how do I handle this particular thing. But our judgments are not going to be made on the basis of what we see because we have been given a precious gift to see much, much more of what is real, the truth. Jesus said, those who are of the truth hear my voice. And we have seen this. The Bible is filled with these kinds of examples, and I'm going to try to go through them quickly because we're kind of going long here. But Jesus in the wilderness. The devil came and said, after him fasting for 40 days, the the devil came and said, turn this into bread. Turn that rock into bread. You see, if you're just living on this upper level, that sounds like a pretty good deal if I could do that because that's all we're thinking about. But Jesus responded because, obviously, he's the author of, the, of both levels. And he said, no, we, we, I, only, I live by the words that come out of my father's mouth. And so I'm not. And then the devil says, well, hey, okay, since we're focused on the words of God, hey, why don't you throw yourself down? You know, the word of God says that uh, the angels will pick you up before you, you, unless you stub your toe. He said, the angels will catch you. And Jesus said, no, we're, we're not tempting God here. We're, not, we're, not, we're going to live by what he says. And then, secondly, we're not going to tempt him to do what we want him to do. Okay? Both of those things are self-centered if we don't, if we don't move away from them. And then Satan says, well, listen, if the, you're really good at following here, how about we switch God's? How about you follow me instead? (laughs) Because you're a good follower. I'd love to have you in my camp. (laughs) And Jesus says, no, the reality is you're not the real God. The real God that we worship only is my father. 
at the Last Supper. And these are things because Jesus can see. At the Last Supper, it says, knowing he had come, does it Jesus? Knowing he had come from God and that he was going to God, rose, laid aside his garments, girded himself with a towel, and began to wash their feet. You see, because he could see the whole thing, and he knew he had come from God and he was going there, it didn't matter. Nothing was going to change if I wash these people's feet. If I take the lowest position in this household and wash their feet, it doesn't change a thing. And I have the freedom to wash these guys' feet because I love them. And I don't lose anything in the, whole, in the mix. You know, Satan was always trying to get Jesus to do his own thing. Quit following your father. That's what he got Adam and Eve to do. Don't listen. Has, has God said? And Adam and Eve listened to a different voice. <clears throat> there was always another voice calling Jesus to do his own thing. Many people feel that Satan was dancing with delight when Jesus was on the cross. That somehow he was thinking, I've won, I got him. I really don't believe that's the case at all. I think Satan was panicked because he hasn't been able to get Jesus to do his own thing. And what did, what did Satan tell God about Job? After Job had suffered a while, he says, no, flesh for flesh. You, you, you touch his flesh, he'll curse you. And all of that, Satan never, or excuse me, Job never uh, raised his voice against God at all. I don't remember the exact words there. It's my, my interpretation. But at any rate, on the cross, the Pharisees said, jump down from the cross if you're the son of God and we'll believe you. I don't know about you, but I hear Satan's voice all over that. <laughs> Come on, Jesus, do your thing. We know it hurts. We know it's a, you're, you're suffering up there. Just jump down and, and we'll follow you. Well, as if that's going to happen. But Jesus, no. That was the, the, the reason that was the biggest victory is because Jesus didn't do his own thing. Philippians 2 tells us that he was obedient unto death. It was the last thing Satan could do. And I think he was as panicked as could be. I'm losing this thing bad. And we're down, we're within the last minute. And this, we don't have much time left. I got to pull something here. And, and, and take him to the cross was it. But you see, all of this has to do with being able to see something bigger than what's right in front of our physical eyes here. 1 Corinthians 10 uh, there's positive and negative examples. Um, those who came through the wilderness, yet with many of them God was not pleased and they perished. Um, and that has become an example to the New Testament church. This story here, this parable about the, about the, the supper is an example for us. The, the, the Pharisees are an example for us. Don't do it. Don't go that way. You've been given eyes and ears to see something bigger Make your judgments based on everything, on the whole counsel of God, not just 
what's in front of your eyes. He ends up with saying, flee idolatry. That, that's what all of this is. It's all set very self-centered. I entitled this sermon, When You See a Dog Following Two Men. <laughs> it's an old Puritan devotional. When you see a dog following two men, you don't know which man is the master until something comes in the road where they have to part ways. And then you see the two men separate and you'll see the dog follow his master. (laughs) And then you will know. This is the question for us because we're the dog. (laughs) What master are you following? As I said, tomorrow you're going to be faced with making decisions. Who are you following? God has been gracious for because of his love He has said from his throne, hear, see, see what else there is. Understand who I am. Know me. Know my ways. It's a a gift of love to be able to have eyes to see and ears to hear. Will we follow him? One last thing for us to consider. This is not part of the devotional. This is my take. This is another thing on it. If the world sees us, the dog, following two men, what do they see? What does the world see that just lives up here? They see a dog following one man. Because they can't see the other man. They can't see the one we're following. And so when that place in the road comes where the two men separate... It looks to the world like that dog's going astray. (laughs) Because they can't see. They don't have eyes to see. And so what are they going to do? They're going to mock you. They're going to say, you don't know what you're doing. Who in the world are you following? You really believe this stuff? Because they can't see. They will mock us and we will have the opportunity to smile back. With confidence, with great peace. Jesus said, I give you peace, not as the world gives. We have the opportunity to look back at them and say, I need to tell you about the man I'm following. And we don't have to get up in arms about it and call them names. Because as Jesus watched the disciples feed, we're already there. I'm almost at the end here, but I just want to put a baseball story in. Um, You know, in baseball, if it's the bottom of the ninth and it's tied, and your team scores a run, the game's over. You you don't go, wait wait a minute, there's only one out. Um, Let's get another batter up here. (laughs) No, the game's over. You don't need more points. <laughs> it's, it's, you won, you know. The game's over. We've won. And yet, we're going to be tempted to try to get more points tomorrow. Because uh, we need them. Because we're not believing the whole story. We're not trusting Jesus. We're not saying he's paid it all. We're not being like Jesus washing the disciples' feet. It doesn't change. It doesn't matter. Nothing is going to change. By getting more points, I mean things like 
Maggie tells me something. You maybe have heard me tell this before, but she tells me something. And I say, oh yeah, I was just thinking that. <laughs> well, maybe I was, but did I have to say it? Hey, what am I trying to do? Oh, oh yeah, I, I, I was planning on doing that later today. I, you see, I'm trying to get points. I'm trying to, I'm trying to add to my resume here. You know, I, I'm, I'm trying to look better than, I don't want to be told. There's little things like that that we will do as we go through the day where we're trying to get points and we're not recognizing Jesus hit the home run in the bottom of the ninth. Game's over. We don't, we don't, we don't need more points. Let's just rejoice. So when they mock you for following this invisible man, we don't have to get angry. You know, we have a hospital bill. We still, after all this time, is not resolved. And it's hard for me to get on the phone with them. I haven't talked to them for a while. In fact, Maggie does most of the talking because I'm in the background going, "Ah," you know, (laughs) can't you send a bill to the right address? You know, Um, we have to understand they don't have eyes to see. And God has given us a gracious gift. The next section next week is going to point to the fact that we need to bear the cross, that we need to sacrifice everything. And we can do that because we have eyes to see the whole story and we know that our lives don't even match up to what's in store for us. So I I leave you with that tonight to consider tomorrow the whole counsel of God as you go through your day and the day after that, the day after that, because you've been given a gracious gift to be able to see what others don't. And it's a, it's a great privilege. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we've considered tonight uh, your word, as we've considered the story before us that Jesus told, um, he spoke to them who were angry with him with strength. And yet he was gracious with those, those lame, those poor, those who were less. Because he knew they really weren't less. They're just as much people as anybody else. Just as much my creation, he's saying this, just as much your creation as anybody else is. Heavenly Father, give us a mind You've shown us so many things, and yet I know there's things you still need to show us, but so many things to help us honor and glorify you in our daily lives so that we don't go around this this world trying to do our own thing, but we live by every word that comes from your mouth. We pray that you would instill this in us. Help us, Father. Keep us on track. Uh, We easily go astray, and so we need you more than ever. We pray these things in Christ's name.